0: Under my hood, and he shook his head and said, This ain't good. The timing belt's done shrunk, one size too small. Those no spark plug wires are a little too long, and your main prod sponder's nearly gone. Your injector ports are stripped, and that ain't all. torque converter's running low on the torque, and that water pump's nearly down a quart. We caught it all in time, so you're in luck. Said, I've got the time and I've got the parts. Just give me the word and I'm ready to start. I think we can bring her in for 800 bucks.
1: And welcome to Car Time Radio. Dan Watson sitting in today for Jay Zimbauer. I'm the regular guest on the first Wednesday of each month. Except for last Wednesday, but that's a different story. But I am back, glad to be back. And as I say each time that I sit in here for Jay... I am a certified lubrication specialist. I am not an ASE mechanic. So if you have questions on the broken widget or the whatchamacallit or those kind of things, then save those for Jay and we won't waste a lot of time with the blind leading the blind because that wouldn't be my area of expertise. However, if you got a question on anything to do with oil and lubrication, whether it's engine oil, transmission, fluid, gear lube, whether you don't really know whether synthetic oils are worth it versus petroleum, got a question on uh, these new uh, low viscosity transmission fluids, whatever those things might be, we can certainly entertain those questions. As well as fuel additives and filters, we can go into that arena anywhere you want. Diesel oils, diesel additives, uh, diesel filtration, European auto oils, Japanese auto oils, or American auto oils, if it gets lubricated, I'm willing to talk about it. So pick up your phone. Give me a call in here at 407-674-1025. That's 407-674-1025 or 855 five four five one zero two five and uh love to answer questions always makes the show go fast and if you have a question there's probably another hundred people with the same question so you just call in and ask it for everybody and we'll answer it for everybody over the air now i want to talk to you while we're waiting on the calls about some things because hey i'm in this business day in and day out and i'm always running into people asking me questions and just trying to figure out what's the best thing to do for their cars, because these cars are expensive. They're very, very high performance. I mean, these things are technological marvels. So people want to know, how can I take care of this car? How can I do the best for it? And usually what that means is we need to spend a little time just understanding, if you go shopping, what you're looking for when you start looking for oil. And in order to keep all this stuff in some type of technological organization we have some organizations that come out with specifications so that you the consumer can know whether you are buying the right product now those organizations just to name a couple there's the American Petroleum Institute of course that sets up the specifications for oil and lubricants in North America then there's the ACEA and that is Uh, a French name, actually, which isn't, well, anyway, it's the Association of Constructioners, Euro Auto, A-C-E-A, and they do the same thing for the European Union. They establish specifications for oil, lubricants, fuels, filters in Europe. And then there is an independent group called ILSAC, and ILSAC establishes other, they're uh, actually a lubricate, Lubrication Manufacturing Group, and they are independents. They are not part of the majors like ExxonMobil or Chevron, Texaco. They are independent lubricant manufacturers, and they have an organization that also establishes uh, specifications, and those cross over to the API and the ACEA. So those are the fellows, the people uh, that are telling us what the specifications are. Now the question is do they just make this stuff up or where do they come up with these specifications? And that's not uh that's not a difficult thing to understand. How it works is like this. Your manufacturer, Toyota, Honda, Nissan, Volvo, uh Ford, Chevy, Dodge, these companies manufacture, they design the engine. And so they come up with certain Performance testing criteria that they develop the test, establish the test, and then they tell these organizations like the API, I have a test, an oxygen test, or a foaming test, or an anti-wear test that I want you to use to certify the lubricant that's going to go in my engine because I need that level of protection, and this is the test that I've developed to prove that whatever's tested to this will work in my engine. So the API nor the ACEA, they do not originate these specifications. They come from the manufacturers who design and make the engine. So they put it out and they say, this is what is the minimum requirement that this oil better do if you're going to put it in my engine. Now, the problem you run into is that a group is formed to take these different inputs from the manufacturers and come up with something that is uniform for everybody. And in some cases, there's some um, significant arguments over whether a requirement ought to be put in because the oil companies that sit on the, these boards, on these, these groups, try to limit how tough the manufacturer makes a performance spec because it costs them more money to manufacture oil or a lubricant to meet that specification. So they're always saying, look, that's a little bit overboard. I know you'd like to have that, but that's a higher level than what we think we want to make in this particular type oil. So let's let's water that down a little, and let's get everybody to agree. So that's how they do it. They go back and forth until they come up with a standard. The reason I go to the length to explain that to you is because the standard they always come up with is the minimum standard. And understand that. It's the minimum. It's not the maximum. I'm not saying, well, you're going to have this standard because it's, it's 200% of what's required to protect these moving parts. It's going to be, well, we got you at 105%. That's close enough. That's the minimum standard. So if an oil company comes in, and they do, certain ones, and they start producing products which they say vastly exceeds the API specification, that's what they're telling you is that that API spec is really not uh, that hard to meet, so we've made something better. For example, um, General Motors requires Dexos Oil, D E X. O-X. Okay, Dexos. No, I'm sorry, D-E-X-O-S. Dexos Oil. They came out with this manufacturer specification because they were highly disappointed with that minimum spec that was being issued by the American Petroleum Institute. And when they came out with their own spec, they more or less say, if you're going to put oil in a General Motors car, it has to meet the Dexos spec or it voids your warranty. Now, to meet the DEXO spec, you actually have to spend some money to make that oil because it requires a fairly robust additive package. So they're trying to make sure that their vehicles are protected, and they're not satisfied that that minimum specification that the American Petroleum Institute originated was high enough to do that. They're not the only ones. Caterpillar, uh, the big off-road manufacturing uh, for equipment, they have Caterpillar specs that are tougher. There's MAC, the big over-the-road truck, MAC truck. They have specifications that are tougher than these API specs. So it's not uncommon to find that, and it's important that as a consumer, you realize that all these oils are not the same. Even if they say they meet the API spec, they're just telling you that they meet the minimum specification. Now before we go to the break, let me tell you just a little bit for those of you out there that own a European auto. Now we're going to get into some complicated specifications. Uh, we have one API spec, it would be the current one is SN for gasoline and uh, CJ4 for diesel. That's the current classification spec. In Europe, there's five levels. They run everything from a minimum to some very stringent specs that usually originate from people like BMW and Mercedes. So when you're going to buy oil or have oil changed in your European auto, my best advice to you is, is you really need to know what your car takes, and you need to be able to look on the spec sheet or on the bottle that they want to put into your car wherever you're getting your oil changed And make sure that it carries that European auto spec that's on it. Especially very, very important if it's under warranty, because you'll avoid it in a minute if you use the wrong oil. So this is Dan Watson sitting in for Jay Zenbauer today talking about oil. We're up on our first break, and when we return, we'll pick it back up, and you can give me a call at 407-674-1025. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Car Time Radio. Dan Watson sitting in today for Jay Zimbauer. Gonna head right to the phones and, uh, answer a question on antifreeze. The one thing I forgot to mention when I gave the list of things that I would talk about, but antifreeze is one of them. So, let's see. We're going for Ray in Winter Garden. Ray, what can I tell you about antifreeze? Uh, I've got a 2000 Monte Carlo. And the mechanic I had been going to told me I should only use a fifth, uh, a green-colored antifreeze in the car. But when you go to the store, it's got 50-50 mixed in uh, different colors. Is there any difference, son? Huh? Well, here's what's important for you to do. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, check your owner's manual. And if you don't have an owner's manual in, in the car, go online and look it up because um, – Your car may require one of what's called an organic acid technology antifreeze. Dexcool is one that um, the GM company uses, and I believe that's what's in your Monte Carlo or should have been. The green ones are usually the old what we call uh, sulfide-based, phosphorus sulfide-based antifreeze, fine antifreeze. But Here's the problem. Your car like a number of cars made today, has uh, steel, aluminum, and copper all in contact with your coolant. And the problem that you have is called uh, dissimilar metal corrosion, and it is an oxidation-reduction type corrosion, meaning that wherever there's aluminum in touch with that antifreeze, it will create a very small microcurrent between the aluminum and the copper and the steel. And what happens is the the aluminum will pit. You'll start to get pits and corrosion in the aluminum. That's the one that's being, quote, reduced in the oxidation reduction reaction. Now, the organic acid technology type like Dexcool is designed specifically to resist that type of dissimilar metal corrosion. The older phosphate sulfide type coolants were designed to go in almost completely uh, cast iron, steel, and copper with no aluminum. So your car is in in the age group that will have all three metals. And it's important to put a coolant in which is actually designed to resist dissimilar metal corrosion. Does that all make sense to you? Yes. Okay. So the green one is usually reflective of its, like, the original Prestone antifreeze, and it's green, and it was used in the cars. Hey, I'm over 60. It was used in all the cars when I grew up. But as cars began to use more and more aluminum under the hood, uh, they had more and more problems with wasting away of water pumps, and aluminum heads in some of the cars. And uh, then they started putting aluminum radiators in which is a uh, copper cap up at the top. So that's why GM came out with DexCool, not because they just wanted to come up with something, uh, but it was in order to deal with dissimilar metal corrosion. So you make sure you look in your owner's manual. If it says to use DexCool, there are some others you can use. But let me just tell you this. If Dexcool is in the car, you need to flush it completely out before you put another antifreeze in, because okay. Dexcool has a real problem with with mixing with other antifreeze. If I don't have another brand, can
0: I can I go to a Chevrolet dealership and ask them?
1: Yeah, what, what you sure can. There? You sure can. They'll be able to okay. tell you 100% whether that car came with Dexcool. Now it's pretty old, so it may have been changed out one time, but. Yeah. Uh, The deal with deck school, it gets a lot of bad wraps on it. What really hurts it is it doesn't mix well with other things and people go and stick the wrong stuff into it and they mix, it gets mixed with something else and then you end up with basically a gummy type stuff in the passages in the engine. You don't want that. So you want to make sure if they tell you you need to get back to deck school and it looks like you got something else in it, uh, then there are some things, now now hear this carefully, there are some things called polyorganic acid technology, P-O-A-T. They're compatible with anything like Dexcool. And so if you were to go get a P-O-A-T type coolant, then you could mix it in, it will mix right in with Dexcool, it doesn't care. Uh It's a universal type thing. But I believe your car is going to require one of the OATs and that you do not want to put the old fashioned green stuff in it that you will end up with a water pump wasting away or if you have aluminum heads on the, got a V6 with aluminum heads, you'll start to, uh, eventually you'll have a head gasket leak. Okay. So that's the All best right. I can tell you. So be careful. All right. All right. sir. thank you. All right. Good question on antifreeze. It's one of those things that we forget about but there are statistics that show that more cars engines fail due to their coolant system than any other part of the engine now when i say that that can be the coolant system because the head gasket lets loose and you have coolant draining into the cylinder or a head gasket leak that's a coolant system failure okay that's not an engine failure that's not a broken rod or something else that's you know breaking the boundary between the cylinder and the the coolant system so all right, so I told you before when we came back, we were talking about oil specifications. And, hey, give me a call. That was a good one, and I'll be glad to answer your questions also. You need to know where the specs are for your car as far as oil. And they're going to be right where I just told the gentleman to look for his antifreeze spec, and that's in your owner's manual. That is a very important uh book to have is the owner's manual. If you don't have one, a lot of times you can go online, go to the GM website, go to the Chrysler website, Ford, Toyota, and you can buy the owner's manual for these cars. To go back years. They have them available. Sometimes they're available. You just download them, okay? But there's a lot of information that is specific to your vehicle that's in your owner's manual, and you need to have that And you need to pay attention to it, because when you go look at the lubrication page, it's going to give you two things. It's going to tell you the classification of the oil, which could be anything these days from uh, SG to uh, SN, depending on the year you bought the car. And if it's a diesel, it's going to have a different set of specs for uh, CG, uh, CI, or CF. And then it's going to give you recommended viscosities or weights of oil to use. And so all those things are important because the people that spend all the money to design and manufacture that engine, they put those things in there because those are the best recommendations they can make for you to maintain that vehicle in the best condition it can be. So once you look in there and you find the specification, and it tells you, for example, that you have to use an SL-rated gasoline engine oil. And you go over to the auto parts store and you look, and everything says SN, or it might be a few SMs. And you go, well, goodness, I I can't find my oil. I got to use an SL. Gasoline engine oils are backward compatible, and what that means is that when the API specifies a new classification, right now it's required to cover all the previous. Classifications. In other words, it's supposed to supersede them and be able to do all they did and do more. In other words, it's supposed to be a tighter control. Now, I must tell you, in some cases, we get in trouble with that. Uh, the SL oils are the last gasoline engine oils in the 5W30, five, uh, 10W30, 520, 030, those oils, 30 weight and down, they are the last ones that had no restrictions on their zinc and phosphorus anti-wear additives. After that, when we went from SL to SM, the EPA, the government, required a reduction in zinc and phosphorus with the theory was to protect the catalytic converter from any type of poisons that might come in vapor carryover from the engine. So some vehicles built back that had an SL or older rating actually were depending upon having that higher amount of zinc and phosphorus in them. So we have to at least have a better idea whether we're getting in a little trouble moving on to the SM or SN. And then the diesel oils, it is, um, again, the same thing, that the CJ4 oils are supposed to be backward compatible to cover all the CI for oil specifications, but again, they limit zinc and phosphorus to 800 parts per million. So these are some of the things that it takes a little bit of work, but it is not hard. You can know what your car requires, and you can look in the uh, owner's manual. Many times today, go online. There's so many good websites and so much information about uh, oils and classifications and those things, and you need to know that stuff just like you need to know (laughs) things about your own body as far as your uh, blood pressure and all that kind of stuff you need to know those things so you're going to take care of that car you're the only one that's really really going to care because it's your car and if it doesn't work it'll be you that pays the consequences so all right give me a call when we come back from the break 407-674-1025 and we'll answer your questions And welcome back to Car Time Radio. Dan Watson sitting in for Jay Zimbauer today, answering your questions on oil, lubes, transmission, gear lubes, filtration, antifreeze. Had a question on antifreeze. Just about anything you want to talk about in the liquids that uh, go into the car. So we'll uh, be glad to entertain those questions. Now, I've been talking a little bit in here in uh, my background monologue about oil specs and how you get the right ones, okay? Um, you've always heard people say, I mean, we've we've heard this stuff in the past, you know, over the years, that um, oil is oil, you know? Oh, Earl is Earl. You know, nothing to worry about. Well, it's really not true. Even petroleum oils are not the same. And it depends upon where they came out of the ground. And a lot of people are not aware of the fact that, Lubricating oils are, in fact, better, really, they're better out of the places when they come out of the Pennsylvania-grade type oil rather than coming from the Texas oil. And you say, well, why in the world is that? Well, because in Texas the oil is called asphaltic, and in Pennsylvania it's called paraffinic. Well, paraffin is wax, but also paraffin has a much better hydrocarbon consistency to make a lubricant than asphaltic oils. So we actually pump a lot of asphaltic oil in the world and make gasoline out of it. So you still have a certain amount that won't refine. you got to do something with it, so they go ahead and work real hard and treat it and do all kinds of stuff and turn it into a base for a lubricating oil. But the best natural lubricating oil would be those that come from a different type of base, and they would be paraffinic in nature. So all the petroleum oils are not even the same. So then we get even further and we start to talk about, well, now we got all these newfangled oils, this synthetic stuff coming into the market. and But that's certainly the same. Synthetic is the synthetic is the synthetic, right? If it doesn't matter, if it's synthetic, it's got to be a certain thing. Well, I'd love to tell you that's true, but it's not. Uh, they have so, let's just use the term, boogered up The idea of what a synthetic is, and it's all got to do with money, and it's always driven by how to make the maximum profits and do these kind of things. So now you can't even depend upon, when you go and buy an oil that says it is a synthetic oil, that it is legitimately what you're looking for. And I say that with, uh, you know, great reservation, but I have to tell you that, because there are articles now written in our trade publications about where do we go from synthetic because what what we meant by synthetic when it came out was an engineering chemical term, the two lightweight molecules synthesized to make a heavy lubricating molecule. But that only means that now to the chemist and to the, you know, the lubricating engineers. The, the salespeople have decided that that must just be a sales term you could use synthetic like you use superior or you could use synthetic like you use good stuff so this has become a problem in the industry and what i tell you as the consumer is you got to do a little homework and you got to go for the stuff that is that, that really works and that really is legitimate synthetic that you can trust and listen um i'm not going to tell you that there's only one you got to get and it's the one that I know about, okay? What I'm going to tell you is that use a little common sense in this area. Um, big companies that have millions, billions of dollars invested in their operation are not going to risk their reputation by making something that's clearly not what you think you're buying. The problem we have today is that there's these literally no-name companies popping up across the country selling uh, all kinds of oil in bottles and drums and totes and stuff. And the government is having a hard time keeping up with them and finding out that they are charlatans, that they actually produce stuff, put it in the marketplace, and it doesn't even have – what's in the bottle doesn't even match up with what's on the label, for God's sakes, much less the quality. So – You've got to be careful. You only have one time to make a bad mistake and put a bad lubricant in your engine and cause so much wear and trouble that it's done. So you can't afford to make a mistake, and they can keep going as long as they can get away with it before they get kicked out of one state to the next. So stay with recognizable products that you know and that you can trust. You're not going to buy oil from a company like Texaco or Chevron or, you know, Shell or Mobil or these guys that they're going to make some kind of junk. Now, I won't tell you, uh, you know, give you an opinion on which one is the best because each person has an opinion, you know. But what I will tell you is that there are oils out there, you know, uh, Bubba's Elixir or whatever that you find on the marketplace. And this stuff isn't worth the amount it costs for the plastic container to put it in. And you have to be aware of that and be careful. Now, when we get to the, the argument, the legitimate argument between synthetics and petroleum, I'll give you a homespun analogy that might work the best. And that's that uh, we all, most all of us, really like cotton. I like it in shirts. I like it in, in uh, blue jeans, uh, socks. Boy, cotton when it's next to your body, you could it breathes and it feels good. And uh, if you're working out and you get into a good sweat, it just works as a wick and pulls the sweat away and evaporates. It's a terrific product. Now, I can take cotton thread and I can comb it till it's perfect. There's nothing in it but cotton, and I can dye it any color you want—blue, red, green, whatever you want. And I can put it on a spool, and I can take my boat over to Crystal River and head out. Get to one of those deep sinkholes out there and drop my downrigger down that's going to fish around the bottom because I'm going to catch that big grouper. I want him to weigh about 150 pounds, and I want that boy in my boat. So I drop that perfectly calmed, beautiful cotton line down there, and lo and behold, I hook the big boy. And bang, snaps that line before the rod hardly bends. And I go, wait a minute though. Well, that guy said this was orange cotton line, and it was it was combed to be perfect. There's nothing in it. It's beautiful. It's purified. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter because nature says that cotton has a limit. Can't handle a 150 pound grouper. Now on my other downrigger over there, I got a piece of this this almost invisible looking monofilament line. It runs all the way down there, and now I get you know Big Bubba's buddy, you know and he bites on the other side and now we got a tussle and i am fighting that fish and finally i can pull him into the boat we gaff him and we get him in and we got it done and i look and i say well i don't understand i mean both these lines they look about the same i bought this monofilament line got one that was red and i bought that cotton line that was dyed red what was wrong here Well, see, the monofilament line was manufactured from the ground up to have the strength and the tensile, the molecular structure, to stretch, hold together, and to do what it was designed for. There's no way in this world that that cotton was designed to become a fishing line and try to catch 150-pound fish. That cotton is great for going into shirts and fabrics and so forth. And by the way, I can't even imagine trying to wear a shirt made out of monofilament fishing line. What an uncomfortable, hot piece of junk that would be. But I can catch that fish with that synthetic fiber called monofilament fishing line. So here's the deal. When you look at the development of synthetic oils, they are designed from the ground up, the chemical-based ones, let me stipulate that, they are designed from the ground up to have uniform molecular structure And to have tremendous temperature ranges that the original hydrocarbons out of the ground just can't do. I don't care how much you clean them up. They have limits. They freeze early and they'll boil quickly. And those synthetics don't. So there's no arguing about which one of these products has the highest quality to perform as a lubricant. The question is for you, the consumer, is, is it cost-effective for you to use it? And that's something we'll take up after the break, because we're up against the break. And when we come back, give me a call, 407-674-1025. We'll see you after the break. And Welcome back to Car Time Radio. Dan Watson sitting in today for Jay Zimbauer, talking about oils, lubes, filters, those things. So, right back to the discussion I gave you my best homespun yarn about fishing and about the difference between synthetic and conventional oils and their bases, and so I think that pretty much clears it. Now, when you get into different synthetic oils, they are not all the same, even uh, when they are manufactured uh, by the same manufacturer. For example, uh, AMSOIL synthetics, there are three levels of oil in the AMSOIL line, there are OE oils, which are, they meet the original equipment standards and they're good for the regular drain interval, maybe five or 6,000 miles. Then there are the XL oils, that's our intermediate range, that's good up to 10,000 miles. And then we have the signature series, the premium line, which is good for up to 25,000 miles or one year, whichever comes first. Now, for me, having been around this as long as I have, um, uh, I use nothing but the Signature Series. Listen, there's no such term when it comes to lubricants in your car as overkill. I guess the primary term should be no-kill. In other words, you don't want the engine to be killed, you don't want the transmission to be killed, or any other moving part. So we use the no-kill theory, which is to have the best possible protection for all circumstances with the lubricants that you put in your car. Uh, There isn't any comparison. Uh, When you look at these products, the Signature Series oils made by AMSOIL remain to be the premium synthetic available for the common everyday automotive application. Uh, Many times, AMSOIL Signature Series oils used to be bought all the time by people in racing because they were so far above the other oils that they were even used them in racing. Now, AMSOIL has come along to make a line of uh, what they classify as racing oils that are not uh, certified for everyday use for regular automobiles because you have different requirements. One of the most significant enemies of everyday driving in oil is moisture. Uh, you know, when there's a dew on the window, there's also dew that forms inside the engine engine breathes air goes through the breather and so when it cools down all that steel cools down it sucks air in from outside because the air cools down and contracts and it sucks air in from outside and there's moisture always moisture in florida and so when it gets down to the dew point the metal hits the dew point little drops of moisture form on the inside of the engine and they usually just work their way down and fall into the oil pan and you have condensation in your oil pan. And that moisture is the enemy of all oils, and so it's very good for a car to get up to over 140, 150 degrees for 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time so that it burns or boils off that moisture. Because in those real short trips that people make and never get their car up to any kind of significant temperature, eventually you build up quite a bit of moisture. That moisture will actually combine with byproducts of combustion and make a weak acid. And that weak acid will be neutralized by additives that are in the oil. But it starts to deplete those additives, and they will run out. And that's why you have time limits on oil as well as miles, is because of those moisture contamination that builds up and they can only put so much alkaline additive in the oil to try to neutralize this stuff, and so they set time limits as well as miles. I get that question all the time. Why can't I just leave oil in my car for three years if I haven't gotten to 3,000, or 5,000 miles? And the answer is because the additives are being depleted as it sits there in your engine without moving. Okay, Petroleum oils are so reactive to oxygen that if you were to take a pan, and fill it with oil and just set it on your workbench and leave it there. Six months later, when you came back, there would be a quarter inch of waxy buildup in the bottom of the pan. Well, where would it come from? It came from as the oil reacted with oxygen on the surface. It turned to sludge, and it just then was heavier than the oil, and it settled to go down through to the bottom. Now, that's because that petroleum oil uh, is not inert. In other words, it is reactive, and they put a certain amount of oxygen stabilizers in it, but they can only do so much. You could fill that pan with uh, Amso Synthetic and set it there for five years, and it wouldn't develop anything on the bottom because the oil is inert. It does not react with oxygen. So different things, but that's because one is manufactured and one is just refined. It's like that cotton. I'm combing it. I'm working it out, but I cannot change its basic. Molecular structure. So, you want to really keep in mind the difference in these synthetics versus petroleum. You need to go look at my website, and that's an easy website. It's just thelubepage.com. You get a lot of information there. It's thelubepage.com, and I've written articles for magazines. I have uh, a whole bunch of uh, videos on YouTube. You can go to YouTube and find me just at dan watson find the channel there's about 70 uh youtube videos about oil so if you want to learn something about oil and know what to buy and not what to stay away from check out my youtube channel and check out the and you'll get probably more information than you really want to mess with so but it's there and it's good for you to get some idea how these things work and what you put in your car because it'd be nice for me to tell you that every place you go is going to protect you, and they're going to give you only the best product. But unfortunately, in this life of ours that we live, we find out that uh, everybody doesn't work on that principle. Some people work on the principle, or they want to see if they can make the maximum profit off of your visit. And that means that it's not really necessary to use the very best product. Just use something that will work. So you're the one that has to demand the premium product and protect your vehicle. Hey, it's been great here today, and uh, Jay will be back next week, and I'll see you guys probably, oh, let's see, August, the beginning of August, first Wednesday in August. So I'm just going to go ahead and sign out of here and uh, tell you to drive safely
0: and keep rolling. The mechanic raised up from under my hood, and he shook his head and said, this ain't good. The timing belt's done shrunk, one size too small. No spark plug wires are a little too long, and your main frog spawner's nearly gone. Your injector ports are stripped, and that ain't all. torque converter's running low on the torque, and that water pump's nearly down a quarter. We caught it all in time, so you're in luck. He said, I've got the time, and I've got the parts. Just give me the word.